Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. I'm pleased to be here. We are doing this show remotely in Frisco, Texas. I'm here with a longtime colleague, Dennis Marvel out of the great state of Washington. How are you, Dennis? Fantastic. How are you? Doing terrific. Thank you for asking. So, Dennis, you're a business guy, so you are a good fit for dental business radio, um, but you're not a dentist. How did you come into this great business niche of ours? So, um, I actually came off the Wall Street world and had spent 20 years in that career uh, and he rose to a pretty significant level within American Express. And when I was looking for what's next for me, I was actually building a leadership development company in healthcare. And uh, somewhere along the lines, uh, I got a call from Bernie Stoltz, uh, who is our CEO of our organization. Uh, I had a few conversations with him and I was very dedicated to fixing the world of healthcare in all aspects. And it seemed like a really good fit. And that's been 14 years. And I love the role. I'm now the director of our Fortune 50 division. Fortune 50, F50, one of my uh, favorite things because it, um, to me, it's a, one of the Napoleon Hill principles of having a mastermind group where you bring in you know, other business owners and you are having very candid conversations about the challenges of you know, entrepreneurship, and I get a lot out of that personally. So I would thank you and thank Bernie, thanks to Mark and everyone else who, who makes that, and all the F50 members who makes that such a wonderful program. Um, I did learn about my body, this last one, and that we need to treat our bodies like a business. Um, and all the data that's available now, there's not really any excuse. I'm speaking really to myself more than anybody. Um, I am wearing a whoop. Yeah, you are wearing a whoop. Yeah. So that tells you exactly how, what does that tell you exactly? Basically tells me everything from periods of rest and relaxation, sleep, uh, heart rate variability, uh, any heart spikes, spikes in stress. <clears throat> anything like that that you can use as a constant monitoring tool for where you are physically because I know for a fact that how we are physically is what leads to our emotional and mental state. And so if I'm not in a productive state, I can very quickly change my physiology to get in a more productive state for whatever I'm getting ready to do, like the show. Did you do anything to prepare for this show? I did a little bit, yeah. So uh, I always do a small circle of walks. I don't know why it's a circle. That's just me. Uh, and I do some diaphragmatic breathing in that process. And um, it really settles me and grounds me. It's interesting. It reminds me, I have uh, my, my dog Milo likes to circle before he lays down. But he's, he's kind of laying down, not getting up, right? Um, and again, you know, we always kind of think, well, what does that mean for me? It makes me feel like I'm kind of lazy and I'm not doing enough to get ready for the show. I did get the mics together. Yeah. I did do that. You know, I mean, I, I did my best John Ray impression, which is basically wake up from my nap. Um, shout out to DJ John Ray on the turntables here. Um, so back to you, Dennis, because that's what the show is. I want to feature you. Um, so you came in. You're, what world were you from? 
before you came in to, before you spoke with Bernie and wanted to do healthcare leadership, you must have been doing something to be so ambitious to take on, because healthcare leadership is no small task, right? Um, so what gave you the wherewithal, right? You must have done something in your previous life. Tell me a little bit about that. So I was very entrepreneurial and it started with, uh, I was raised by a very dedicated military man who as a rising junior in high school said, I joined the Navy to go to college, what are you gonna do? So I started founding businesses as a way to try to create the revenue that, uh, that I needed to be able to pay good tuitions and attend good schools. And the first one failed miserably, but I learned more than that from that one than everything else pretty much since then. Um, but after a couple of very big successes, both of which are still op in operation, uh, I was recruited into the, the Wall Street world of um, you know consumer investment banking and things of that nature. I served as a retail stockbroker, a certified financial planner, kind of rose up through the ranks as time went by to a branch manager, a regional manager, and then upper echelon at Dean Witter. When it was sold to Morgan Stanley, I was recruited by American Express to help them build that division. And uh, we were extremely successful on that front. I was kind of the worst to first guy. I kept getting the worst assignments and uh, turning those divisions around. Um, I got the opportunity to go to postgraduate school at the time, which was fantastic. But I can tell you everything I know about business, I learned the hard way by making mistakes, trying everything I could try to get the result I wanted to get until I discovered the things that really work and are transferable from one business to another. Gotcha. So that's quite the uh, path in career. So you have a lot of experience under your belt. And so now what you do with Fortune is you try to transfer those lessons for your clients, i.e. typically dental practices, oral surgeons, endodontists, periodontists, et cetera, in the dental niche, hence why you are on the Dental Business Radio. Right. Okay. Right. How long have you been doing that? Uh, about 14 years now. Actually, almost 15 years. So in Washington State, you are been there for a while. So are you the Grand Poobah of Seattle or what? Yeah, so I run actually run the entire Northwest for Fortune Practice Management, which is a nationwide uh, organization. There's about 130 people like myself all across the country. And I am based in Seattle. Uh, my business is based in Seattle, even though I moved to Bend, Oregon uh, at the about probably six months into the COVID fiasco. And uh, so I commute now, just like I did when I lived in Seattle. It just takes me 41 minutes as opposed to two hours. Gotcha. And what would you, what got you excited about this upcoming year in the world of dentistry and fortune and the Pacific Northwest? So I have a particular passion for doctors and helping them really understand the value of their, their business. There's probably every listener to this show has received some letter or some kind of a communication from a private equity firm or a DSO or somebody like that, um, basically trying to you know acquire them or explore, exploring the options. Um, those deals are incredibly complex and don't usually pan out to provide uh, everything they promise. Some of them are very, very sketchy and they have very limited results. And so part of my mission in this whole role is to help doctors understand what their equity is, what the valuation of that is, and to actually protect the business because they can scale and move from being a, uh, a chair side practitioner 
to being an actual CEO and then a business owner where their business is creating tons of revenue while they're away on a beach in Hawaii, wherever they happen to be. Um, and then ultimately to an enterprise leader because they can go out and build their own enterprises uh, and you know, it really kind of change the focus of the industry because you don't have to be owned by a financial firm or an insurance company or a hospital network to be amazingly successful. And what? Yeah, that's crazy talk. Not at all, man. <laughs> so, um, and some of the most successful groups that I work with, you know, they started out as, as one doctor in a single practice. Uh, they grew to the point where they started adding associates who sometimes are on the partner track, sometimes not, depends on the owner's vision. Um, and then as time has gone by, some of them have grown into very large organizations. Uh, kind of my, my cornerstone, if you will, uh, was all based on a, um, a case study I did on a multi-specialty medical organization. I looked at their structure. I looked what they were doing great. Their clinical results were actually, you know, way in excess of the, the national averages for everything they treat. And so I started applying that to the world of dentistry. And um, it's a fantastic model. I've made a few tweaks to it to make it more efficient. Um, but there's no reason why you can't collaborate and create what I call a doctor-owned and doctor-led enterprise coming out of finance, understanding how private equity firms work and all of that. Um, I think those are the last people that need to be in charge of anything in healthcare. How do private equity firms work, Dennis? So a lot of people think that private equity is just some rich people. And yes, most of them are funded by um, sovereign funds, which means foreign countries, extremely wealthy individuals, things like that. But they use leverage very well. So if somebody comes in and say, you know, I want to offer you you know, 60, 70, 80% for your business. Uh, and then they acquire that business. Then they turn around and will borrow more money to go do that again and again and again. So they end up in a pretty highly leveraged situation. And then it becomes about risk management. Now, knowing what's going on in the economy and the markets and everything today, um, I'm a little fearful of, of something recurring similar to 2007, 2008, at which time all of those organizations that were super highly leveraged had some very challenging times. And a bunch of them in the dental industry specifically uh, actually went belly up, um, you know, threw the keys back to the bank and either got shuttered or, or sold. And um, that's an opportunity for all the listeners on this call, because if that does reoccur, we want to be buyers. Um, but it's really a way to, to protect yourself from what it is. And the returns of owning your own um, enterprise is so far in advance of what anybody could pay you for it. Excellent commentary in definition. Now, just for our listeners out there, when the ego belly up, as you say, the money that is promised to the sellers, the doctor seller who had a $2 million, $4 million operation. And then he's, yeah, he has, you know, they gave him 60% or 70% in cash. I don't know, whatever they do. And then the rest is, hey, stock in this private equity fund or some stock in a private company where you should really be an accredited investor. All right. But then what happens when they go belly up, they get like 10 cents on the dollar, right? Because they're going to get paid first because they're the dentist who sold it. Is that what happens? No, it's absolutely opposite. So um, to give you an idea, what most of them do is they'll say, you know, they'll give the doctor 60% cash, they hold back 40% and they give it to you in stock. Well, the first thing you need to know is the private equity firm actually owns a different class of stock than all the doctors. And that's the one that gets sold if there's ever a big problem. That doesn't sound 
nice. It's not nice at all, but that's the way financial firms work. They're designed to make money. They're not designed to necessarily build quality business and take great care of patients, which is what we're all about in this industry. So um, because they have a different share of stock, they're actually second in line behind all the people they, they borrow money from, the banks, the, the wealthy individuals, their own private funds. Um, and so they're, you know, four steps ahead of you, the doctor that ended up getting involved in the program. What about the, and so in the bankruptcy proceedings, they're almost last in line ahead as far as the debts go. Would that be an accurate statement? That would be an accurate statement. Absolutely. Um, there, there's literally nobody behind them. And often they ask you, especially if it's an early stage, what I would call DSO. Uh, and DSO is not a bad word. It's the private funded ones that are problematic. And um, because they're being run by finance people. And so their job is to multiply money, not necessarily create a thriving practice. And for those of us that have been around a little while, we remember the big merger booms that have occurred you know, over and over and over again in our history, where they put a bunch of organizations together and the idea is they have what they call a recapitalization, which is supposedly when the doctor is gonna get some of their money. And then ultimately they wanna sell it to a, a larger and larger company, which basically turns into the same model that we have in traditional healthcare today. So for traditional healthcare, you've almost got to where You've got two camps, right? And this is just my opinion, not a substitute for your own opinion out there, listener land, is that you have folks that have already sold, they've already become part of a hospital system or part of a group, and then you have the other side, which is in my cold, dead hands. And they're not, they're not, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing until they die out. Now, what's going to happen with that over time? Um, that's probably a different show. Um, so a lot of the money, the healthcare investing money, washed now into dental, which is, it's always been there. It got quite frothy for a bit. And I would say that due to the interest rate changes, this is just my observation, um, that things are definitely changing. Um, and so when clients ask me, um, I want to make sure that they have very good advisors like yourself, right? Good folks who have a good reputation that I've, have, I'm familiar with and understand what they're talking about. Um, Number one, right? You'd have to have the right advisors. Number two, what happens? So, you know, I'm the insurance guy, right? And PPO analysis and negotiation and the provider community sometimes gets torch and pitchfork, I'll call it, right? And that there's a lot of, uh, let's call it angst in between these two parties of populations, pop populations, right? And so, in my mind, I go, well, if it's a private equity fund, right? So that's private equity, then they sell it to a larger private equity fund who will then send it to a larger. Eventually, you're going to get purchased or buy, or this hopefully will happen to you, by an institutional investor. Now, an institutional investor would be a pension fund or an insurance company. Would that be accurate, Dennis? It would be totally accurate. And most people don't know that insurance companies are sort of some of the largest investors in our country. They occupy and own huge swaths of real estate and all the major metro markets in, in our country. They own tons and tons of individual portfolios of not only privately traded stocks, but also privately held companies. And so they're very often the buyer. Uh, you know, you look at Heartland Dental as an, an example, one of the largest groups in the country. Uh, they're owned by a Canadian pension fund now. Um, and they are actually looking to buy probably most of your listeners, but the deal is not nearly as sweet as what they can create on their own. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Very interesting. So I don't think that's 
there's a lot of awareness that, hey, you might be working for an insurance company one day. Oh, some of them feel that way anyway. And I'm listen, all of my friends and colleagues in the insurance world, I'm not knocking you. I'm just educating. If you uh, disagree, you're welcome to come on the show. We'll put on new music. We'll have a little dance. Um, it's, these are just facts, right? Just, these are not in dispute. So, um, so back to where you, what we have going on and what we've been really kind of talking about today uh, is... Things have changed. We went from a frothy market. Now interest rates are up. Um, and so some of these events that were promised or expected, well, we're all in this together, right? We're rowing our boats and we're working and we want this to happen. And some of them That's probably the will happen, right? Um, but sometimes they don't. And I've been around a little bit too, right? Not as long as uh, you have all due respect. Don't, don't hit me uh, <laughs> with your whoop. Um, but the, the I remember back in 2007 and 2008, and I was in the South, and so in Georgia, you know, and some of these cats had uh, built like mausoleums to themselves, and they're like, this grave, this will never end, this is going to be the greatest thing, right? And then boom, right, the music stops, now what, right? Yeah, so the now what is always, anytime you go into a recessionary period of time, no matter what the cause is, I don't think the cause this time is going to be the same as before. It's just our markets have all been hot. We responded incredibly well as a country to the whole COVID thing. So what happens at that level? And, and let me switch hats here for a second and kind of step into the, the, the finance guy role. So and the first thing that happens, obviously, is business declines. If you have a lot of debt, you have to maintain that debt service even though your business is down. The So that, that's pressure point number one. Pressure point number two is that if it gets tight enough, now all of a sudden you start looking for a way out. And unless you have you know a personal net worth well in excess of what your business is worth, especially the debt, uh, the solution is usually to go seek a buyer. That's the only way to get out of that kind of scenario because most doctors, when they built their practices and they they grew things as they went on, they had personal guarantees on all the notes. So ultimately it does come back to you, them, but because they are also last in line in the event of a bankruptcy proceeding, they're almost at the will of the private equity firms, whoever the investors are that acquired, acquired this organization, because they're gonna get their money first. It's just like a bank loan. The bank always has precedence on who's gonna be first in line. And in this world, it's a different kind of bank. Right. And so, and to be fair to our, you know, some of our friends over there in the PE world, these are funds. They, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their investors and not to you, the seller of your practice. In fact, their fiduciary duty is to get that asset for the lowest possible price. So when they're whispering sweet nothings into your ear and taking you to a Cubbies game or to, uh, uh, you know, Kansas City Chiefs game or, you know, you're on the lot yacht somewhere, um, you know, to all the steakhouse, you're getting wine and dine. Just understand that's a small cost compared, you know, to buy the relationship. Correct. And one thing most people don't know about these kind of private fund sources is that uh, they also have very high structure to the money that's actually invested in those companies. And those are usually with three to five year time horizons because they're sovereign wealth funds. It's got to stay liquid and uh, it tends to move from sector to sector very fast. So they're under contract. If they take this $50 million from this one individual or, or sovereign fund, um, they, there are very strict rules on how they can manage that money and how long they have to return 
liquidity to it. But then they take out notes that are four or five times longer than that. And so the whole equity versus debt thing is just completely out of whack in a lot of these organizations. Now, to be fair, there's a couple that are well managed. I know a couple of private equity funds that actually do it the right way. They try to leave the doctors in charge and let them run the business because they know they're the ones that should be running the business. But those are far and few between. Gotcha. It's just like, you know, so for all of our listeners, we're trying to be fair and objective. Um, but at the same time, I do think that there's a lot of misinformation out there. And certainly I've had, I've learned a lot, right? Um, you, the run rate, where you at in your run rate, et cetera. You know, so when I have my, when I'm investing my 50 million, Dennis, right, I want to know exactly when I'm going to get it back. And then how much are you promising in return? All right. I want 7%. 7%, I want that back, right? So now I did that four years ago when interest rates were down at what? One, all right? So that was a very good investment, but now I can get, you know, I want that money back, right? And it's much safer because the global economy could crash at any point. Um, I'm not saying that it would, I'm just, you know, you, you don't know, I can't predict the future, I'm not Miss Cleo. So let's put that in the context of of dentistry, okay? Because that's everybody that's listening here. Let's bring it back to, so, to you guys, the dentists and the practice managers and the insurance companies. Who And, and it's really the, the owners, okay? Because you can be a CEO, which means you're, you're running your own business, but to truly be an owner, again, that means that the business is generating revenue, profit, and caring for people even when you're not there. Uh, and then once you get to the enterprise leader forum, that just means your organization now has multiple facilities or really large facilities. Um, you know, I've got several uh, multi-specialty and general combinations that have 30, 35 operatories in them. And they're basically producing the revenue of an 8, 10, 12 practice network. Now, again, and coming from the financial world hat, the way this looks is first off, this is equity. Uh, equity is more volatile than debt. So when we're talking about interest rates, that's some form of debt. You just happen to be on the receiving end. So it's like you loan your money to the bank. They pay you interest on your CD. When it matures, they give you your cash back and you've earned interest for however long the term of that was. In equity, the returns are variable. Now, as a portfolio manager, and I spent a long time doing that, um, if I could be at that 7% mark consistently over time, that put me in the top decile, usually the top 10% of all fund managers, because 7% is really, really good over the long haul. And these records go all the way back to 1600s in Europe. So it's a pretty heavy stance for that's what the equity markets return long term over time. And most portfolio managers don't beat the market. The reason why all these people are interested in the world of dentistry, specialties and general, is because they can pay all the practitioners, they can hire younger doctors to take, you know, 30% of adjusted production and commit to five-year contracts, and they're driving usually 20 to 25% to the bottom line after that. That's not available in your average industry in the United States. It's a very rare thing, and so it makes it a very attractive target to these finance guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and to any investor, right? Absolutely. It's uh, as somebody who occasionally invests a dollar or two here and there, not at the ponies. Um, you know, this that sparks my interest. And as this is a show about money, that should spark everybody's interest, including the people that own it already, right? <laughs> Well, and this comes back to the, to my key point and really my mission is to help doctors understand everything about the business side. Now, one thing that's different from when you invest money in a stock or a mutual fund or anything like that, there is public 
publicly available information and they are publicly regulated and have to follow a very serious uh, long list of compliance items um, to maintain that status here in America. Um, private equity funds don't have that same requirement. Very little data is public. Uh, which is why sometimes they can make it sound one way, but then if you actually read all the fine print of the contracts you're signing, it sounds like something totally different. Uh, I have met, I can't even tell you how many doctors that ended up selling to a group like this and never read past page one of the contract because they're usually 110, 120 pages long. I read the PPO contracts to them, which are not small, but definitely minuscule compared to these agreements. Right, because they again, you are signing one, a form, right? That says I'm an accredited investor, and if you don't know what an accredited investor is out there in Lister land, why don't you Google it? Yeah. Okay, um, and so that absolves them of the responsibility of having any suitability or basically they can tell you whatever they want. You're supposed to be able to determine for yourself. Yeah, and the last time the credit investor rules were updated, it was really the top 5% of the population. And so in this example, they're bringing in people that could be in that top 5%. Most of them are in the top decile, uh, but there is a significant portion of the doctor land out there uh, that actually falls in the bottom half of that. So between the top 10% and 20% uh, of highest net worth individuals in the country. And so what you're doing is you're being reclassified into the risk top tolerance of the uber wealthy and which you may not be somebody that has four commas in their net worth. Right. Yeah. John Ray, he was a, uh, he was, he was an accredited investor for a little while when Bitcoin was flying high. How you doing over there, John Ray now? Oh, not, not an accredited investor anymore, huh? Uh, wow. There you go. So, you know, things go up, they go down. And so being a conservative individual myself, I do personally and a business owner, I want to invest in my business because that's also what I have the most control over. Almost anything that I put into an equity or, a, or it, into a, an account, an investment account, is almost play money. That's how I have to look at it, right? Because if it goes up, it's going to go up, it's going to go down, but I don't want my blood pressure to spike in the same fashion. Does that make sense? It does. And so, you know, and, and let's be clear. I am a huge supporter of being an investor in this nation's economy because I know I get results long term. Okay, again, 7% is about the rate of return you're going to get in the market. But if you compare that to what you, the doctor, could make in your own practices or by other practices, you're usually looking at 20 to 25%. And if you're not, you need to get some help on how do you clean that up? How do you generate the amount of revenue and how do you scale till you're getting that kind of profit margin? And if you're the doctor in the practice, recognize that's after you receive your doctor income of 30% of your own adjusted production. So everybody I work with gets paid as a producing doctor if they're still doing the hands-on work and they get paid as a CEO and they get paid as a business owner because that really helps them see the value of all three of those value propositions. I like it. So would it be fair to say then, so we can wrap this up for our, those in listener land, is that Dennis Allen is not a practice broker, right? But he's there to give objective advice and also to help see opportunities within your client's practices so that they can maintain control or maybe increase the profitability or the EBITDA yep. if they did want to sell for whatever reason. 
Would that be an accurate statement? Absolutely. So I am independent. Um, I don't own any practices. Uh, actually, in my, my primary states of Oregon and Washington, um, it's illegal for a non-doctor to own a practice. They get around those rules in the private equity world by having one person that owns like one or two percent of the entire venture. And that's the person that owns the clinical. The, they create two companies that owns all the rest. Now, going back to myself, uh, I am fully independent. I only work for my clients. I do not take kickbacks, commissions, anything from anybody. And uh, my best interest is actually the vision of where do my clients want to go. That's all that I serve. And that's why I like you, Dennis. I respect that. Um, well, we don't take anything. We only have one sponsor, and that sponsor is me. And so that's why we get to talk about whatever we want. So I'd like to thank our sponsor, Practice Quotient, PPO Analysis and Negotiation. Um, and it's top tier fee schedules and strategies for top tier docs. Um, you can find them at www.practicequotient.com. I already go 470-592-1680. I'm also a speaker across the country. Um, you can find me at patrickorourke.me. Now, Dennis, who is uh, much more colorful, and for the purposes of this show, people really want to find you. So there's dennismarvel.com, D-E-N-N-I-S-M, as in Mary, A-R-V-E-L.com, dennismarvel.com. Just like the film series and all the superheroes. All right. Uh, do you have a cape on? I do not. And unfortunately, I don't get any dividends from those shows either. I was just born with a name. <laughs> <laughs> so how else could they reach you for our folks out there in listener land? So I'm a managing partner and again, the director of the Fortune 50 division of a company called Fortune. And our, our website is fortunemgmt.com. Uh, you can put a forward slash in there, Fortune 50, and that'll take you right to the organization's page. And I'm featured very broadly on there. Um, but again, the DennisMarvel.com is a way to easily get in touch with me. You can also subscribe to receive uh, some regular blogs, both of video content, audio content, and written stuff about what specifically is going on in the industry. Um, and I also do something I call Marvelisms every day, where it's just a witty phrase or something to live by or something like that. Um, and I'm not the one that named them that. It was actually one of our clients that just started dubbing the Marvelisms because they came up with all these great one-liners. You just subscribe to those and get them every day. There's also a ticker tape running across the website that you can kind of see a little bit of what those are all about. So That is really interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. We're going to come back to that for a second. Is there anybody that you want to give a shout out to? Because we are here at the Fortune Management Annual Meeting with lots of different Fortune coaches. Um, much loved the, the Fortune organization. Thank you for hosting us and having me specifically out. You're part of the organization, so thank you, Dennis. Um, but uh, we're sitting next to Fred Joyle over there and Mandelbaum Barrett. Um, is there anybody that you would like to highlight? Um, also, B of A, Wondrous. Uh, Josh over there at it, the Texas boys at Arthur Marshall, Pearl, I think I mentioned Pearl. Yeah, uh, Pearl AI, uh, that's a really cool process, especially if you're a general dentist because it's actually deploying AI into the diagnostic part of your, your patients. Um, 
they their software could literally be installed once and kind of look backwards and track all the things that were diagnosed versus all the things that became major issues later and the ones that were missed so you can get a really good idea uh, of how much dentistry is actually missing without the reviews of live imaging you mentioned uh, Mandelbaum Barrett they're based out of New Jersey just outside of New York City we won't have that up against them we won't but they are probably the best and the largest uh, dental specific firm they've got a great dental group I work hands on hands with uh, all the leading partners of that uh, and they do a fantastic job they, they are the top healthcare firm one of the top healthcare firms in the country shout out to Bill Barrett shout out to Dennis Alessi as well uh, he doesn't travel as much but he cracks me up and he is super smart um, Casey Gosell, you got to throw her in there. Casey, She's not only a corporate attorney, but a tax attorney. That comes in handy in transitions. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, kicking myself for not asking her a few questions, actually. Um, <laughs> you should. All right, hypothetically speaking, John Ray, we'll go back to sleep. Um, and at any rate, um, True Blue, let's give a shout out to Alex Sadusky, True Blue, and Jennifer Tyson, who gave a wonderful presentation a little bit earlier. Um, anybody else before we wrap up? Yeah, and True Blue is another one, uh, as well as your firm, that I don't have any involvement in. I'm not an equity participation owner, but I would recommend both very, very highly. Sure. Uh, the Wondrous Agency. I think California. I'm partial, but I think we're awesome. No, I think, you know, you guys are awesome. Um, there are some states where you have a lot more impact than others, but if you want an independent point of view, right. give me a shout. I'd love to tell you how great right. you Washington State's not an area that we don't work together that much because there's uh, carrier dominance there. It makes it very difficult difficult to gain traction, but still, that's what I respect about your work, is that you're still one of the most successful consultants in the country in a depressed reimbursement environment, in my professional opinion, which people pay me for, I know. Totally true. So that's what is the most impressive thing to me. So you can't squeeze it out of alternative or outside forces. It has to be done internally within that business. And that says a lot about your acumen to be able to go in there and do it for the amount of time that you've done it to become the unofficial mayor of, you know, Seattle slash governor of Washington state out there. Medicine and dentistry in the Pacific Northwest. I'll take that. Right. There you go. I like that. You just have to wear a cape if you're going to do that. Right. All right. No blue tights. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, for all of our listeners, thank you so much for spending time with me and with Dennis Marvel. Again, you can find him at www.dennismarvel.com. I'd like to thank John Ray and everybody at the Business Radio X family. And until next time. Mm -hmm.